Today we finish up a series called uh, Trusting God in the Midst. And over the last few weeks, I've heard from so many people about how in, in, encouraging and impactful and challenging this series has been. In case you weren't here, uh, on week one, we talked about trusting and obeying God when it doesn't make any sense. Like, how, how do I do that? How do I, it doesn't make logical sense, but God says to still trust me anyway. We looked at the story of Naaman in the Old Testament. Then Trevor, the next week, in week two, talked about trusting God through what appears to be impossible situations. So we think it's impossible. We have a God who can overcome that as well. And so we want to put our trust into him. Last week, we talked about how to trust God with our future, especially when our present isn't looking so good. So how do we trust him with our future? And so again, if you've missed any of that, and last week we talked about the character of Ruth, any of that, it's available online. Now today, we get to learn about trusting in the grace of God, trusting in his grace. And if you are new to church, if you're not a believer, if you're coming back to church, this is the perfect Sunday to come back to. And I'm going to get a little bit excited, a little passionate, you know, about what we're talking about today. And my hope is that you're going to get excited because when you get excited, I get excited. So it's okay to talk in church. So let's make sure we're those kinds of people. So as we start, that's right. Amen. There it is. As we start, here's the question. Think of a time when you got physically hurt and you were unable to do something you normally could do. Think of a time when you were physically hurt. Could be a sprained ankle, you know, could be a Procedure of some kind, could be broken bone, whatever that might be. Go ahead and share that. What's the first thing that comes to your mind with the people sitting around you? And we'll come right back up in just a second. Go ahead and do that now. Okay, I want to hear uh, a couple of these. Um, don't, don't go into gruesome detail. You know, no, I will in a second, but you don't. Just, just a couple. Who's, who'd be willing to share? Yeah. Oh, getting the colon removed. That's not a good day. Don't, don't you need that? <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Oh, else? What's up? Yeah. Broken neck. Oh, how many of you guys have broken bone? Anybody broken bone? You know, here? Okay, quite a few. That shows why our medical system is still in business. Jeez. Let's <laughs> be more careful. One more. One more. Yeah. Cut. Cut your leg with a chainsaw. No, you meant a hedge trimmer. Okay. The same, yeah. It's going to be the same kind of thing. Uh, I had something happen to me about six years ago. Uh, I got in an ATV accident. I was up at a pastor retreat of all places in Calder, St. Mary's region, you know, uh, of Idaho. We were up there, you know, uh, spending time with God, planning for the year. And the guys went out on four-wheeling, and after a period of time, they were late coming back, so I jumped on one to try to say it's time for dinner. Uh, I got out there, got on the final stretch on the way back. I couldn't find them. Uh, they decided to go off-road, off-road, you know, uh, tying, tying ropes around trees and pulling themselves up or whatever that people do in Idaho. You know, and, and so <laughs> I was on this straightaway, and the, the, the weeds were up pretty high. And so I just did uh, one of these cardinal sins, and that is I relaxed my grip. When I relaxed my grip, right at the same time I relaxed my grip, I hit the largest divot, you know, I've ever hit with, you know, an ATV before, and I was like Superman. So I flew up into the air. I wasn't going all that fast. Next thing I remember is that I woke up, my shoe had been blown, was blown off. I don't know why my shoe was off. And the four-wheeler was still running, but on the side, you know, of uh, the little path that we were on. And so my first thought that came to me is I am so embarrassed because if you've got friends in your life, like I have friends, they remind you when you fall off of four-wheelers uh, on a continual basis. And so I was embarrassed. Second thing I thought that came to my head was I'm in trouble. 
uh, because I saw some blood that was coming, but I didn't know where it was coming from. And so I found my shoe, I put it back on, and my arm was killing me. My shoulder area was killing me. So I was just kind of, I was kind of hobbling. I was kind of walking like this and I walked about 200 yards. And that's when I started yelling for help. Our college young adult pastor heard me. He comes kind of trotting up and he's kind of making fun of me as he's coming up because he knows that something must have happened, ran out of gas or something. But as he got close, he looked down at my leg and his eyes just got huge like these saucers. And it was only then that I looked down. Let me just tell you, you never want to see the inside of you when you're on the outside of you. You just don't want to do that. For what had happened, I found out later, is as I flew off of the four-wheeler, it had one of the, it was an older one, it had a little, little peg on the end, and it grabbed my leg, and it kind of did a U-shape, like a shark bite to it, and it gutted me like a fish. You know, in fact, uh, I have fun, some fun pictures that I won't show you unless you are the, of that persuasion. Uh, you can see me later. I'll just show you one, you know, that's not as gruesome, you know, to give you an idea. Uh, that's me on my stomach, you know, uh, with about 75, you know, stitches, large stitches, you know, that were in there. In fact, uh, when I go swimming sometimes and, you know, people look at the back of the leg because the scar is nice there, little kids will say, what happened to your leg? I'm like, dude, shark bite. Don't go in the water. Don't do it, man. Don't do it. It's Coeur d'Alene. There's no sharks. I'm like, yes, there is. Look at my leg. Uh, so I have a little fun with that. Uh, you know, I was in the hospital for four days. Now I think we got a picture, you know, of me in the hospital. I don't remember any of it. I hope that's my kid, you know, uh, <laughs> Uh, that's, that's there. I don't remember any of that. You know, it was, it, but what happened was, is that uh, my wife became full-time caretaker, you know, of me. I had to go to physical therapy for over a year, uh, relearning, you know, uh, walking, found out the reason my shoulder hurt so bad is that I shattered my shoulder blade, you know, which, because it, what it did, it grabbed me and then it whipped me, you know, at the same time. And I'm an idiot. I wasn't wearing a helmet. So if I had rotated a little bit, I would not be here today. So I praise God, you know, that I was here today, but it just made me process, man, when we're, we're young and dumb, you know, we think we can get away with a lot of things. So we think we're invincible. But then when you go through something like that, you realize that you're more crippled than you think, which reminds me of today's story. See, today's story is my favorite Old Testament story. But I'm really surprised for those of you who are Christians, how many people don't know this story? It's the story of Mephibosheth. So say that after me. Say Mephibosheth. Okay, how many of you have heard of this story before? Raise your hand. Okay, you can see. So we're all equal here. If you're new to church, I told you, perfect week to come. So here's what I want you to do. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13. And what, if you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles in the back. It's a gift from us to you. Or you can download the YouVersion Bible app. You know, that's just really easy to look at. It's got sermon notes in there, you know, as well. While you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background. There's a guy by the name of David. Now, most Christians, even a lot of people know about David, David and Goliath. You know, uh, you've heard that story before. David has been told by God through Samuel that he's going to be the next king. The problem is there's already a king that's king, and his name is Saul, and he gets a little jealous of David. So much so that he tries to kill him on occasion. He ostracizes him. The guy runs for his life for many years. Saul, King Saul, had a son. His name was Jonathan. Jonathan and David, ironically, became best buds. Talk about best, best friends. Where they even promised to look out for one another. Now imagine for a second being Jonathan. You're aware that this next guy has been told by God he's going to be king, yet who is 
supposed to be king based on succession, Jonathan. And so he still befriends him, even though he knows he's not going to be king. Okay, with all of that as kind of the background, enter now Mephibosheth. So keep your finger there in 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we'll get there in just a second. But before we do, I've got some good news for us today, and I've got some bad news for us today. So who wants to hear the good news first? Good news first, people? Okay, who wants to hear bad news first? Okay, (laughs) you're like me. I want the bad news, we'll finish on it up. So I've got... Bad news and good news, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about bad news, and then there's some more good news, and then we're going to finish with what I think is some great news. Hey, here's what I can promise you. I'm going to be a little fired up, so again, I need you to be fired up with me. So let's start with Mephibosheth before we get into our main passage. In 2 Samuel 4, 4 is when we first read about this guy. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son, and his name was Mephibosheth, who was crippled As a child, you see, he was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed, both of them, in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. Now, why would she do that? She knows that when the father and the son die, somebody else is going to try to take the throne. And if you try to take the throne, you kill the throne's relatives so nobody has claim to the throne. That's what would usually happen in monarchies, you know, all over the known world, even at that time. So she's trying to protect him. But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. Five years old, no fault of his own. He becomes crippled the rest of his life. No matter how hard he would try, he would never be able to walk normally again. He, because he's crippled, especially in that day in society, he would be an outcast. Any disabled person you know, would be looked down upon and would be ostracized. He is now alienated from the king and the kingdom. He went from the palace to living in poverty and now a social outcast, fearful of what judgment could come, even his own life, if the next king were to find out that he was alive. That's bad news for him. You know, there's bad news for us too, because we all are crippled by a fall. All of us are. You might remember Adam and Eve in the garden. uh, God tells them, don't eat this forbidden fruit. They eat the forbidden fruit. And in Genesis chapter three, it talks about the great fall of mankind where sin enters into the world. And before we start blaming Adam and Eve for all the problems that we have in this day and age, let us remind ourselves that we too continue to perpetuate this sinful nature. Now, all of us are morally bankrupt. In other words, you can't find anyone who says, you know what, I've never done anything bad to anyone in any way, shape, or form. You can't find somebody. All of us are equal that way. In fact, Romans 3.23 just reminds us, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standards. And so that's the bad news. You and I are also outcasts. You and I, because of the sin, are alienated from the king. Uh, We are fearful of God's judgment. We're unable to walk upright before him. No matter how hard we try, no matter how good we think we are, we still fall short. In fact, Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus tells them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, righteous, but those who know that they're sinners. See, it's not that Jesus is unaware that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The question is, are you aware of that? 
Because he's not come for people who think they're righteous. Jesus come for people who admit that they're sick in the sickness of sin. In other words, you and I can't be made well until we recognize that you and I are sick. So that's the bad news, is that we are all crippled. Now, there's some good news now. Well, so let's start with Mephibosheth, and that's where we find our passage in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And again, most of this won't be on the screen, but this first part will be. It says, one day, David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. So he calls a servant, a former servant of Saul's named Ziba. And he says, Ziba, I want you to tell me, I'm the king. Is there anybody left in the family line in which I can show kindness to? And, and again, for fearing for his own life, more likely than not, he says, yes, there is one. Jonathan had a son, but don't worry, he's crippled. And he's in this town, Lodabar. We actually even know which house he's in. So he tells Ziba, all right, that's good. Go get him and bring him to me. Now, Mephibosheth, here's the good news. He did not search out the king, did he? The king searched for him. He was lost. He had no hope. He had no future and no opportunity. And yet the king reaches out to him. See where we're going? Good news for us. We all have been sought out and found by the king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. We did not search for the king. The king actually searched for us. Jesus left his rightful position in heaven and he comes down to be amongst us to try to bring us back into a right relationship with God. In fact, it says in John chapter one, verse 10, he came to the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. So we weren't searching for Jesus, but Jesus began to search for us. In fact, that's the primary reason that he came. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save those who are lost. And those of you who may be in a church for a little while, be like, yeah, I recognize that passage. Came to save those who are lost. And I've heard people say that. But you forget the second most important part of that sentence. He came to seek those who are lost as well as save those who are lost. So he goes after us. That's how good our God is that he will seek after him. Because many people, if you think about your own, uh, for those of you who are followers of Christ, think about your own uh, spiritual st story or journey. For many of you, you came across some weird person who called themselves a Christian. And then there maybe was another weird person. And then another weird person. And then there were these coincidences and these things that kind of got your attention and that turned into God incidences. And over time, you're like, man, I think God is stalking me. And you would be right. That's how much he loves. That's how much he's willing to go after to make you aware of who he is because of how much he loves us. In fact, uh, it reminds me of the story that we find in Luke chapter 15. You realize in Luke 15, Jesus hanging out, this is what the Bible says, with tax collectors and notorious sinners. That's the way the Bible describes it. In other words, people that religious people could look at and be like, man, based on your life and your lifestyle and your choices that are obviously public, you're a sinner. Not only are you a sinner, you're a big time sinner. And Jesus was hanging out with these people. Well, the religious people, also called the Pharisees, they weren't happy about this. They're like, why is he hanging out? Doesn't he realize hanging out with sinners? He's even eating with them. <gasps> Scandal, news at 11. Jesus is hanging out with people, religious people wouldn't hang out with. And so Jesus, 
you know, uh, tells a story. But before I tell you the story, I can't tell you how often I come across too many people in the church today who forget our absolute desperation and need for the grace of God. We forget it all the time. Here's how you know you might have forgotten your desperation for God's grace in your life. When you think of people who are not connected to Jesus and his church, how do you view, treat, or tweet about these people who are not connected to him? What are the thoughts? What are the feelings that you have in a divided nation when you see what people are doing? Do you jump on the bandwagon of judgment? Or are you a person that recognizes without God's grace, you and I would also be judged, but by God himself? We forget our standing. See, our vision is to be about those people because guess what? Those people are us people. We are the same people. We forget. Sometimes we like, well, those who go to church versus those who don't go to church. Those who accept the Christ don't accept the Christ. The only difference is Christ, not you, not me. You and I are absolutely desperate for the grace of God in our lives, lest we not forget that these people that God has called us to reach out and to befriend and to love are us people. We're the same. So Jesus tells him the story. Actually, he tells him three. He tells him about a, a lost son, and then he, then he tells him about a lost coin, but he starts with a lost sheep. And he says, there's a shepherd. He's got all these sheep, and one of them wanders away. So what does he do? Searches for the sheep, Right? And he goes after the one until he finds it, seeking and saving. Then he puts it on his shoulders, brings it back, and then they party. They celebrate because the sheep that was lost has now been found. You know, one of uh, my favorite groups of people in our church is our CR group. Now, CR stands for Celebrate Recovery. Doesn't, sound, doesn't stand for celebrate sinfulness or celebrate perfection. or uh, We celebrate the journey of recovery. And here's why this place is so awesome. It's because anybody who goes to CR understands they're screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they absolutely do, right? CR is any hurt, any habit, or any hang-up that you can't get through on your own. In other words, you've tried. I've not met anybody who's gone to CR that hasn't tried to get rid of one of those things. And here's what you see. You see somebody walk in, and their head is down, they're downcast, they're feeling shame, they're feeling defeated, and they walk in. And when they walk into these doors, there's somebody to greet them. And it's almost like this, man, I'm so screwed up. And they're almost looking at you like, man, you're screwed up. And they're walking in, yeah, I'm screwed up. Yeah, me too. Come on, join the party. And so everybody understands that they're all screwed up in need of God's grace and they need accountability in each other's lives. Guys, welcome to Celebrate Recovery. All of us are in Celebrate Recovery. As soon as we start thinking that we've got our stuff together, as soon as we miss the whole need and point for the grace of God in our lives, and when you recognize your absolute need and desperation for the grace of God, it allows you to start seeing the world and seeing other people the way God intended. 
See, the only hope that we have is the trust in this grace of God, which is why Romans 5, 8 reminds us, but God showed his great love for us in this. He sent his son to die for us, not after we got our stuff together, not after we, well, now I'm going to get my life right, and then I'll show up to church. No, while we were still his enemies, while we were still sinners. In other words, while we were still screwed up, God sent his son to give us this grace. See, the bad news, we're all crippled by sin. The good news is that you and I have been sought and found by the king. But then there's some more bad news. Here's the other bad news. When we come face to face with the king, we actually find ourselves truly unworthy and deserving of punishment and death. We actually find that. So back to Mephibosheth. Oh, by the way, Mephibosheth, do you know that name actually literally means he scatters shame? Can you imagine going everywhere in life with that name? You scatter shame. You scatter shame everywhere that you go. Well, here we are, Mephibosheth. Imagine being called into the king's presence. I wonder what that ride was like, right? He's thinking more than likely, oh, great, here's my last moments on earth. The only reason the king would want to see me is to wipe me out so there's no claim to the throne. And so I can imagine how long of a ride it would have been from Lodabur, where he was from, to the palace. But it must not have been a fun one. He walks into the presence you know, of the king. He bows respectfully, and you can read about that. And David gets excited. Mephibosheth, what's up, man? I got some good news for you. Uh, I'm going to restore all the land, all the property that belonged to your grandfather Saul is going to be all of yours. Mephibosheth is floored. But notice how Mephibosheth viewed himself. For he says, he bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant? that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me. Imagine feeling that way. And I think we all have. It wouldn't take long for us to imagine. You see, Adam and Eve, uh, when they sinned, when, when, when they disobeyed what God asked of them, did they respond how some of us think we should respond and run to their father, God? No. Their first response is our first response. They went and hid. They covered themselves. They began to blame other people. Don't believe that's our response? Then you've not been around kids. <laughs> right? When a kid does something they know that they're not supposed to do, their first instinct and response is to hide, cover up, blame, shove it under the couch, put it somewhere else. Don't let anybody see. Why? Because they're fearful of what judgment may await. Rightly so, there probably is some good judgment to wait. But they are fearful. As you and I get older, that doesn't change. We do the same thing. When we do something we know was the wrong thing to do, we hide. We cover it up. Uh, we try to minimize it. Like, it's not that big a deal. Or we blame somebody else. Well, I did that because you... Have we really changed that much since we were a kid? Uh, see, some people say they... They can't wait to see God because they want to tell him some things when they see God. No, uh, every example of God's messengers coming to earth caused people to have to change their clothes. Some of you will get that in just a second. <laughs> they were so scared out of their minds. When you and I come to the presence of God, it will not be unlike Mephibosheth where we fall flat on our faces and we recognize our sinfulness before a holy and righteous God. You know, there are some people who don't want to come to church because they're afraid the roof will collapse on them or, or lightning will strike them. Those things may happen, but it won't be because of them. Uh, more often than not, you're reading the Bible, it's because of religious people. 
you know, that the lightning strikes or the, 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 the roof falls in. See, that's the bad news, is that's the feeling that we have when we are afraid of God because of our sinfulness. Here's the good news. We all have a chance to be restored in the king's presence forever. That's good news. Uh, by the way, anybody here like to eat? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my, my people, I'm like, why am I talking about this? 11.45, man, I'm getting hungry. I'm not talking about like all you can eat buffets. Okay, that's a whole different kind of eating. You know, that's like sport eating. Don't, don't do that. I'm talking about a fine meal. I'm talking about steaks. I'm talking about porterhouses. I'm talking about Wolf Lodge, people. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. I don't know what they put. It's probably illegal, but it's Idaho. We get away with it. You know, uh, whatever it is, it is good. To the very last bite, everything in there is like, man, this is a great meal. But you know what makes it even better? Is that when you have people around you who actually know you and love you anyway, and they want to share the meal with you. And you know the, the kind of environment. You walk in, you've been to restaurants where all of a sudden you're like, man, there's some joy that's taking place. There's some laughter. And there's some reason that God created us to really experience that to the most is when food's involved. And so there's always these things that are, that are drawing people together and you can just see the love and the joy that's taking place. Back to our story. The king tells Mephibosheth that all this is going to be given to you, but I got one more gift for you. Ziba... You used to serve Saul. Now you get to serve Mephibosheth. All of your sons and all of your servants will now work for the land so that Mephibosheth never has to worry about another meal in his life. And then it gets better. It says this, and from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. He eats at the table of the king. Imagine the scene. There's David sitting in his rightful place of honor. Here comes dinner time, and, and all of a sudden the sons and daughters, are, they come scampering in as they should. They're used to being in the presence of dad, who's also the king. But then you hear this clank, clank, clank down the hallway, for he's on crutches, and here comes Mephibosheth. And he takes a seat right next to one of David's sons. Because David doesn't view him as a crippled man anymore. David views him as an adopted son who gets to eat at the king's table for as long as he shall live or as long as Mephibosheth is in the family. You know exactly where I'm going. You and I are invited to eat with the king of kings and lord of lords for all eternity. In fact, Revelation 3.20 says, Look, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. You are invited to the greatest meal that will ever ex exist in all eternity, the greatest feast that will take, friend, take place with people, a God, a king, who knows you in every rotten, sinful area of your life and who loves you anyway. That's good news. That's amazing, amazing news. Uh, for those of you who study the Bible, it's just a little bit of a side note, but I think it fits. Uh, Mephibosheth is found in a land called Lodabur. Lodabur means place of no bread. Isn't it ironic that Jesus would call himself the bread of life and that he would be the one to give us the sustenance in this life and into the next one as well? One last thing before we move on. David saved, he redeemed Mephibosheth. 
but he never healed Mephibosheth. In other words, he still remained lame. See, Christ redeems us from our sins, but that doesn't mean he takes away all of our pains and hardships while we're on this side of eternity. If you don't believe me, you need to go back to last week's lesson as we talked about the future. So we have looked at bad news. Then we looked at good news. We looked at some more bad news and some good news. And you might be thinking here, well, Dan, I have received this grace. I have, you know, lived in this grace because I know kind of the person that I am. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I don't know where I would be. And amen to that. But this isn't just a reminder sermon. For those of you who are in that state, I got something a little deeper for you. I got something that I believe is great news. And here it is. We all have opportunities to be like the king. We all have opportunities to be like the king. See, who are the Mephibosheths in your life? It starts by recognizing that all of us are Mephibosheths, but you also have people that God has placed in your life who need you to be grace to them, who need you to be Jesus with skin on, who need you to be able to reach out to them even when they don't realize they need to be reached out to because someone did it for you. A family member, coworker, neighbor, somebody played that part for God in your life to be used by him to make a difference in your all eternity. Do you know someone? It's interesting. I don't want you to miss this. 2 Samuel 9, 3, it says, The king then asked Ziba, Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. That statement astounds me. He's asking, is anybody alive from Saul's family? You mean, don't you mean just Jonathan's family? Saul's the one who tried to kill you, right? Saul's the one that made life a living hell for you for years. Saul's the one that made a lot of pain and suffering take place in your life. Why would you want to show kindness to Saul's family? Just forget Saul and let's focus on Jonathan. Where do you get that kind of kindness from? And David would respond, I can't. Which is why he says, I want to show God's kindness to them. See, it's not the kindness that he can muster up. It's the kindness that he knows that God wants him to give. Because even in the position that King David finds himself is only by the grace of God that he's in that position anyway. He didn't choose to be king. God chose him. You and I, most, more often than not, we didn't choose God. God chose us first and called us to the grace that we receive. And when we receive grace, we're given the chance to extend grace. The people who've been forgiven much understand how much and how much easier it is to forgive others, especially the people who we believe don't deserve it. And you're right. They may not deserve it, but neither did we. We have to remember that. Let's be a church that individually continues to reach out to everyone in our sphere of influence, that we would be known around this area and around the world that, man, that church shows grace. That church models what giving grace is all about. In a society that's getting further and further visceral in comments and degrading of one another, that we would shine the light the brightest at this point, more than now than ever before in our nation's history, and that we would be a church that leads the way because we're made up of individuals who understand the grace of God and how to extend that as well. Now, this is where some Christian people, and I know it because I've been there as well, who say, but Dan, Dan, they need to understand their sinfulness. They need to get how sinful they are. And I was like, you're right, but that's not what Jesus did. Go back and read the gospels. That's not how he approached people who are far from God. 
He didn't remind them of their sin. People know they're sinful already. He actually railed on religious people who thought they were above other people. Uh, Some of you who love Romans chapter one, you stop at the end of Romans chapter one, you forget Romans two. In Romans chapter two, it says God's kindness is what leads to repentance, not his condemnation and judgment. May we be the people who says the line is in the sand and I will be a person of grace because I've received that grace in my life and where would I be without the grace that Jesus provides? Let me a person that extends that grace that is Jesus. May I always live in the reality of who he is. So as we, as we finish up, can we recognize our absolute need to trust in the grace of God? Thank God that King Jesus has come, that he went out of his way to seek and to save us, that he found us in a far off country, far from him, that he wants to adopt us into his family so we can sit at his table for all eternity. Our response, accept the invitation. And maybe that's why God brought you today. In fact, in first service, I had a woman who was sitting right about back that corner of that area who caught me, Brad was doing the closing announcements, caught me on her way out. And she says, she grabbed my arm. She says, I have not been in church in years. And she goes, I have no idea why I came in this place today, but that is exactly what I needed to hear. Maybe that's you today. We want to give you an opportunity to receive that grace by praying a simple prayer I'm going to lead us in. And then afterwards, maybe making that known to someone else around you or even to one of our pastors. And as you're processing that, for those of us who have received this grace, secondly, Who can we extend that grace that we have received? Who can we extend that grace to? Maybe that person that I know is the difficult people in our lives. But here's what I do know about you because I know this about me. Sometimes the hardest people to extend grace to is us. That we have a hard time forgiving us. God has already forgiven. For some of you, you're still being held back by things that you did in the past. God's wiped it away. You need to let it down because it's still affecting you and relationships around you. Who is that person? Is it you? Is it someone else around you? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be reminded, to be told, to be convinced maybe, Father, the absolute need of your grace. Pray the Lord that if there's someone here who's not yet received you, that today will be the day that they receive this gift. Father, I pray that we would be a church made up of individuals who trust in the absolute dependence on the grace of God. We love you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.